You're listening to Behind the Bliss, a weekly podcast where Rachel Autry brings conversations to you from women that share what's behind their highlight reel. Each episode is designed for you to see a message from the mess and encourage you to find balance in the bliss. We know that what you're facing is important for shaping who God has created you to be. Some may say it's a process that often happens behind the bliss. Here's today's episode. Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of Behind the Bliss Podcast. I am your host, Rachel Autry, and I have the really cool privilege of sitting down with some amazing people to talk through their life story, what God's taught them, things that they want to bring to the table and show and teach you from their own life experience. And today's conversation is just that. It is with my new friend, Manda Carpenter. You probably have heard of her. She's a really fun follow if you don't follow her online. And she has some wild stories she has now put together into a book, but really, these wild stories just kind of expose who she is and honestly, like who we all could be when life gets messy. Because when life gets messy, we kind of have to like turn the mirror to ourselves and look at who we are, the decisions we're making, the relationships that we have, the things that we're believing about ourselves, and then how we're acting from it. This is where soul care comes into play. And Manda knows about soul care so well that she wrote a book, Soul Care to Save Your Life. It is phenomenal. I have had the awesome opportunity and honor to read the book before it has hit the shelf so I can vouch and say that it's legit. I love this idea of soul care. We hear about self-care all the time, but soul care is so completely different and has so many greater benefits than washing your face, taking a bubble bath, or having a glass of wine could ever. So I'm so excited to introduce you to Amanda, her story, and the greater idea of soul care and how it can truly aid your life, even starting today. Okay, it's my new friend, from LA, Manda Carpenter here <laughs> to chat. That sounds so, That what is that? That just sounds like so like. Almost oh. like bougie. I'm not yeah. bougie. <laughs> but I love it. LA. I love yeah. it. I know. I'm new glad friends. you're here. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yes, this is so fun. I was telling Amanda before we got on, but I have a friend, Kaylee, and we were at the splash pad with our boys today. And she's just, she's worked in like foster care system. Like she she knows your world. Like you'll share a lot mm-hmm. of similarities. And I was telling her that I was having you on the podcast. She's like, wait, I know her. She's so cool. I was like, I Aww. know she's so cool. So for anyone listening, this is going to be a cool conversation. I'm glad you're here. <laughs> I can't wait. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It is such, social yeah. media has made our world so small. Uh, yeah. Like terrifying, but also so cool. Yeah. I don't know how I feel about it yet. <laughs> yeah. Pros and cons. Pros and cons. That's right. No, I think we even voice memoed about my coffee order. What was it? Yes. I sent you. Yes. We, yeah. I DM'd I so. you because you posted that venti Starbucks drink and I was like, wait a second. I... I actually have gotten away from Starbucks and I try to go to local coffee shops more and more yep. to support yeah. and, and whatnot. But, you know, sometimes when you have a sleeping kid in the car or just a really whiny kid in the car, you're going to do the drive through. And none of my local places have a drive through, but my Starbucks does. So, yeah, I DM'd you. I was like, give me that Starbucks drink order. It was so good. OK, good. Some people, I mean, most people like it, but I always feel really bad recommending it because I'm like, what if people don't? Because people definitely have coffee yes. preferences. Yeah, my disclaimer when I shared about it was if you don't like sweets, like sweet coffee, then you probably wouldn't like this. But if you're into like a sweet drink, which is all I, I usually do like a cup of sugar, a splash of coffee. Um, It's really good. (laughs) I'm like, yeah, I'm like, don't get this if you like your coffee black. That's just how I say it. Yep. Perfect. Love it. Well, yeah, anyways, instant friends connected over coffee. And you have a lot of really fun things happening in life. So I was like, you know what? This is going to be a fun conversation I want to share with people. So I'm glad you're here. This is a blast. Thanks. Yeah. I'm so happy to chat. We just have so much in common and we're in a similar stage of life and all the fun things happening. Yes. Yes. Okay. We're both moms of little ones. So I have to know when was the last shower you took? (laughs) That's a great question. And I actually, I, I wish that it was a more realistic answer because typically this wouldn't be my answer but last night sure. I did show yeah I'm but normally too. it's been like four days <laughs> so we're doing really good <laughs> yes yes I know I have like a hair wash day now because my hair has been trained because we take so less frequent 100%. showers yes I'll, oftentimes I'll say to my husband I'm gonna take a quick body shower and he's like you don't even need to specify anymore I know you're not washing your hair you never wash your hair right right <laughs> I said something the other day when I 
Okay, I was about to say when my husband and I were showering. Yes, we showered together. Oops, I said it. But like we were taking a shower <laughs> and I was like, you know what? This is nice. I should do this more often. <laughs> it was like, what? Shower? It's like, yeah, I forget how great it feels to shower. He's like, you're gross. I'm like, but this is just life. It's okay. I um I showered last night. And I think I left my purple shampoo in too long. So I literally have pink hair right now. You can't really tell oh, in the video. Goodness. You can't see it. But like my blonde is literally pink. Yeah. It's I, so... Purple shampoo is magic. I love it. It is. I'm overdue. I ran It'll out. dye your fingernails if you have like a white gel. I just need to say that because no one told me. I got like a white gel manicure and then used purple shampoo and it dyed my fingernails. <laughs> um, also, if you don't rinse it off your tile on your bathroom wall, it will dye your tile. It's intense. Yeah. It is it intense. It does. It saves me between hair appointments, which is also something that used to be like every six to eight weeks and is now like twice a year. (laughs) Yes, I get that. I get that. Okay, tell us about you, where you are, obviously Mm -hmm. L.A., doing all the fun things. Just catch us up like a spark notes of Manda Carpenter. Sure. Spark notes. I just moved to L.A. a year ago with my husband and our son, who is currently just turned 17 months old. So he's a toddler. His name is Shia. And we moved here from Chicago. We're from the Midwest, specifically Indiana. um, But pretty early in our marriage, we moved to Chicago. We lived there for five years where we were foster parents. That was a big part of our life. So we had kind of a revolving door of kids and their families who were a part of our life. And the coolest thing is that they're still a part of our life today. I actually had so FaceTime cool. last night with one of my kids. And um, yeah, I used to be a public school teacher. When we moved to Chicago, though, I pivoted in my career. And so I did a couple of different things, but I ended up at at our church working for our church full time there. So that was my real first like introduction to like ministry in a more formal way. And while I did that, just like I had when I was a teacher, I had kind of always blogged and written and shared my life pretty openly, kind of on the side as like a side hustle. I started a podcast. So I have one too called the longer table podcast. And I just really value the gray of life. Um, I think Mm -hmm. I used to Mm -hmm. see life through black and white. I used to be so certain about so much. And the older I get, I feel like the less I know and the more I lean into the gray. And um, that's sort of been, that's definitely been true of my relationship with Jesus as well. So is that a good spark notes? That was a brilliant spark notes. Also (laughs) so funny that like the more, the older you get, the more you realize, less you know, uh, because humbled, for sure. But also Amen. it's so funny because as a kid, you're like, oh, when I'm 25, I'm going to know everything. And now I'm like past 25 for sure. And I'm like, no, totally, no. totally. No. Uh, yeah. And I used to so, think 30 was so old and I just turned 30 and I'm like, I am young. I feel yeah. 21. I'm not old. That's right. That's right. Oh, crazy. yeah. So weird. Life's crazy. We just got off a conversation with another friend for the podcast and we're talking a lot about that gray area because mm-hmm. you're like so convinced and then something in life happens and you're literally like, Skirt, hold on. Actually, yeah. I don't know what I believe about that. And I didn't know that's how I was going to react if that happened to me and yeah, whatever. So when our, I love, yeah, our life experience really informs what we believe and how we think and how we see the world. And it's why my husband and I moving to Chicago, uh, number one, that was such a different place to live than the small town Indiana we came from, um, from everything from the proximity to different types of people. And so the diversity and all of that, but also our experience as foster parents, it all changed the way we saw the world. And therefore we started to think differently about how we voted or how we believe certain things. And, um, yeah, a lot of transformation happened during those years and it continues to happen. That's the cool thing about it is it's ongoing. Right. The transformation of your mind, like that's what God does for us. He transforms us by the renewing of our mind. So like, but that only can happen if you like continue to say yes and show up in these weird corners that you never would have considered yourself, like make yourself uncomfortable, get to know something or someone that challenges you, like you won't get there. So that's why I think it's really cool. When I hear people say like, there's a lot of gray area. I'm like, I respect you because Mm -hmm. I know like you actually, you can actually give the justice and it being right or wrong up to God. And you can just do your best on earth to love people and whatever they're in. Yeah. Um. So totally. So cool. That's why yeah. I was like, you know what? We're going to get along real well. Oh, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And you left out a really big part. I'm kind of mad at you. 
I did what? I'm sorry. I didn't catch that. You, I said you left out a big part. I'm kind of mad at you. Oh, oh, I know what I left out. <laughs> you say it then. I recently, so I actually wrote a book. Um, yeah. And the book I wrote is called Soul Care to Save Your Life. How Radical Honesty Leads to Real Healing. And um, I've been self-employed for about three and a half years now. And during that time, that's been my focus is writing, speaking, and advocating. And it looks like a lot of different things. Whenever people ask me what I do for a living, I get really weird and awkward because I'm like, tongue tied. Yes. It's like, how do I describe to you what I do? It used to be so easy just saying, I'm a teacher. Um, So I try to summarize it in those three kind of categories, writer, speaker, and advocate. And with that, obviously, I got my first traditional book deal with Baker Publishing Group. And so I wrote Soul Care to Save Your Life. And that is coming out really soon. Like I am ready to just uh, hide in my bed and pull the covers over my head because it is so vulnerable. It's like crazy. It's a project I've been working on behind the scenes for so long. And now it's about to go out into the world. And I'm like, wait, wait, maybe we should pause. (laughs) I don't know if I'm ready for this, but I'm really, but I'm actually really excited. I feel like when you work in media, whether it's podcast or writing or blog, whatever, um, like book publishing, it's so interesting because you almost like forget behind a microphone or you forget behind a Google screen. Like when you're writing your manuscript, like people will actually be reading this. Like people yeah. are actually listening to this. Yeah. So a few times you've had to be like, wait, can we edit that out? I did not mean to get that comfortable. Yeah. Um, but it's cool because it does give you a place to be vulnerable where people are like, oh, wait, not just me. That's cool. You know? Yeah. I think that's where the best art is created or how the best art is created. When we do things for an audience, it does feel like a performance. But when you read someone's book or you listen to a podcast or whatever, and you can tell that they are like totally present and true themselves and speaking authentically, even if it might offend someone or even if it might come across too Jesus-y for someone else or whatever the case is, um, I think that's like people appreciate that. I know I really appreciate that. And so... Yeah, with my book, even I definitely feel that I had someone in my family call me the other day, I won't name who, and they just said, Hey, I saw something posted on social media. And then you alluded to like that being told in your book. And (laughs) I was just curious, like, do I need to be warned about anything in there? And, you know, that's like the hard thing that I feel like nobody talks about, or at least I would be willing to talk about it. But I don't know a lot of other authors who talk about it. Like my book, I tell stories about myself and other people like, I know soul care to save your life sounds really, it sounds really clean and really pretty, but this book is not all clean and put together and pretty. In fact, it's quite the opposite. And if I were to retitle it, I'd probably call it something like telling on myself. Cause that's so much yeah. of what I do in the book is I go first to tell the worst parts of myself because that's the only way for me to, to tell you or to show you how much Jesus has changed my life and what he's brought me out of. Um, but it also includes telling stories that involve other people. And so to do that really well, sometimes stories, you change their name and sometimes you tell it just enough differently. But I tried really hard to write the truth. And that's what my editor just kept saying is all you can do is tell the truth and leave it up to God. And so that was, that's kind of how I went about it. Yeah. I like what's uh, unwritten by Natasha Benefield, like, uh-huh. release your inhibitions. Yes. <laughs> I'm like, for real, release the inhibitions. Just I like, love it. just be it. Um, we also heard at church, which is so cool because I feel like this is something that I've, I've always kind of claimed to be something I like to operate from is that there's so many people in a courtroom. There's like the judge, there's the jury, there's the persecutor, there's the attorneys, but like mm. we're only called to be the witness. And the witness, all you do is sit on the witness stand and you say, I swear to tell the truth and nothing but the truth, so help me God. And all mm. you do is just share your story. And you're like, I don't know all the answers and I can't make the decision, but at the end of the day, I know this is what happened to me. Period. Yeah. And that's what it's so, it's like, that's why what we do is so cool and like such a blessing. So I'm like, thanks God for giving me a microphone. <laughs> just yeah. be like, this is what you've done in my life. Period. Blank. And if someone wants to believe it, awesome what they do with it that's theirs but I'm gonna share what happened to me and the heart transformation and have other women and some men on the show to share what's happening in their life and it's like the coolest thing so I love that grateful to have you to be a witness with me yeah (laughs) it sounds so cheesy oh my gosh that's okay that'll be a graphic 
be a witness. <laughs> no, but I, I, I love the heart behind it. It's true. That's the thing about with, with my book, I kept saying to my editor too, I'd be like, oh, should we, should we tweak this or whatever? Cause it might offend someone if they don't know Jesus. And she's like, man, you, you can't be everything to everyone. And you're going to be too Jesus-y for some people. You're going to be too quote unquote worldly for other people. There's always going to, you can't please everyone again, just write the truth. And so that's what I did. And so I tell Amazing. the truth about a lot of hard things and put myself out there, but I did it right. not because I enjoy being like put out there or embarrassed and sharing vulnerable things. It's actually really, really hard for me. I did yeah. it because um, when you experience something that's changed your life so much and has been such a gift and you're so grateful for it, you can't help but go tell everyone else. It's kind of like a Nordstrom sale, right? I know that's like kind of buzzing <laughs> around the internet right now and yeah. people are probably annoyed of hearing about it, but like, so maybe that's not the best example. But when you it's the Starbucks drink that you found. You're so passionate. Yeah. You're like, oh my gosh, you can get this great drink and this size and only spend this much. And you're so excited. You just tell everyone about it. That's the same thing is true for me in my relationship with God and what's happened in my life and the ways that I've changed. It's like, I want to just like shake people. I want to like grab people by the shoulders and like shake them and be like, yep. you have to believe me and try this. I'm so passionate yeah. and excited. Yes. And something I love that about your book, because I'm holding it right now, but I like, did you know Yay! I got this? I did. I'm so excited. Okay. This is always yeah, so nervous. fun. I got, so sometimes I get advanced reader copies for people listening that don't know how this works. So like, you're kind of like, how do you know? How can you vouch for her book? It's not on the shelves yet. Mm. Like, because I have read it. Yep. Um, I, I don't vouch for something I don't know about. I've tried it before. It didn't work. Learned my lesson. But now I get to read books before. It's so cool. And yours literally came. These are always so fun. Like spiral bound, like not even in a yeah. book bound. It's spiral. So it feels so precious to me because I'm like, I'm holding. I don't know if people can literally hear it. Like there's the paper. Yeah. I yeah. am like holding it before it's bound. I'm just so honored to be a part of the process. But something I I want to honor you for is that, yes, you're talking about how like the book can be a little bit messy. But I think exactly what you're saying, when you share the values you've been through, it makes the views at the mountaintop so much more beautiful because you can appreciate it. And for us, that is, we can appreciate who God is as a savior when we share what he has saved us from. Yeah. And I want you to almost share, you're like, this is how you know I'm legit. Like, what are some of those things that, yeah. like, soul care to save your life that you needed your life to be saved from? Yeah. Yeah, the book is really, it starts off, I know you know this as you've been reading it, but it starts off feeling like a memoir. It feels like it's a lot of my story. And then it sort of, as it evolves, I really invite readers to to reflect throughout the whole thing and, and just kind of give them some practical steps. And I give questions at the end of each chapter, but it starts off, I open up that I was unfaithful early on in my marriage and that I, yeah, I, I was... <laughs> I, I stumble over my words because it's still awkward <laughs> to talk about, but I get it. The best way to explain it is I never thought I would be the person to make that mistake. And when it happened, and in the first chapter, I actually go into a, enough detail where you kind of get a feel for what happened and how it happened and how I retraced my steps to kind of figure that out and the counseling I went through to start to heal. Um, it's just so clear to see that something I think a lot of people are missing in their spiritual life and in their journey with Jesus and their relationship with God is a level of self-awareness. And I'm not just talking about like a basic surface self-awareness, but that perhaps but what I what I sort of imposing with the book and I'll, I'll say it here is what if our relationship with God was less about behaviors and rules and trying to be good? Um, and what if it was more about getting to know yourself so intimately and dismantling the lies and healing from wounds and really replacing all of that with truth about what God says about you? And what if it was more about this like emotional intelligence and level of self-awareness? What if, what if those go hand in hand? What if they're not at odds? What if they're not even two separate things? But what if that's a part of it? Um, because for me, it was. So just to break it down one more kind of level here, one more layer deeper is that what happened when I, when I messed up and I sinned in a, in a way that was so consequential, um, being unfaithful outside of my marriage, uh, I did eventually it took me time and I hate that it took me as much time as it did, but it took me some time because I was 
to tell my husband because I was terrified. I was um, really depressed, really scared, really terrified. Just kind of had this uh, tug of war going on inside of, I know the right thing to do is to come forward and to tell him, but I don't want to lose him. I I knew I'd made a mistake. It wasn't an ongoing thing. It wasn't a repeated thing. Um, So I thought, well, maybe I'll just be able to get to the root and heal and deal with this on my own. And then he doesn't have to be hurt by it if he never has to find out about it. And you do, you play these games in your mind sometimes, uh, unfortunately, when it comes to sin and that just wasn't working. The Holy Spirit was like so nudging me every single day, weighing on my conscience for months. And I, yeah, I was struggling with depression. And so I got to this dark place where I, the enemy, the best way to explain it, and people who are listening to me that aren't in a relationship with God are honestly going to think I'm crazy because the best way for me to explain it is that I felt like the enemy's voice was like, you're better off dead. Like you've screwed up so bad that there is no way out of this. There is no reason for you to live. You will never be used to do good in this world. Like you, I I think it's crazy to talk about now because I'm so, I'm far removed from it. I'm over six years removed from it. I feel very healed and restored. My marriage is completely restored. Um, and the healing continues. So it sounds a little bit crazy, but at that point in time, I was in such a dark place because that's what shame does in secret. So like when you have a secret or you're living with something hidden that you're ashamed of, some some sin, something, um, the more you're like secret about it, I feel like that's breeding grounds for shame. And so then shame layers on. And anyways, you can get to these really crazy places where like I did. And yeah, there, there comes a point, and I sort of tell this in the first two chapters where I, I decided to take... God at his word, um, that he loves me and that he cares for me. And I, I ended up making my confession and it didn't mean there wouldn't be consequences and that it wouldn't be, you know, hard, but that there would still be life worth living on the other side. And so that's sort of been a mantra that I've used to work with other couples and other people as they kind of confess for the first time, something really dark or hard and sinful that they have done or been a part of or whatever the case is. I've said, I can't promise you a happy ending. Like I can't promise that your husband's going to stay with you or that your wife's going to stay with you. I can't promise that you're going to get to keep your house. I can't promise whatever it is, right? I can't promise the happy ending, but I can promise you a life worth living. And that's the truth of my story. My husband and I not only went on to repair everything that had occurred and to restore trust and but we went on to continue and we and we still are to live this life where we can do more good here on earth together than we could on our own apart. And that's with fostering, that's with being a good neighbor. That's just following Jesus in our day-to-day life. And um you know, the book is not just for married people. It's not just about infidelity. It's not just about any one thing. I always tell people that I use stories from marriage and motherhood and work and friendship to illustrate points that I'm trying to make. But the journey of soul care is really doing the inner work to not just believe something that you were told to believe or to follow a prescription of rules and regimens that somebody gave you when it comes to religion, but to actually have a relationship with Jesus. And so there's 15 practices of soul care and they're not practices like take a bubble bath or a tangible task you can do which is sometimes why it's hard for me to describe. It's all inner work um, and, and they're ongoing practices. And so that, you know, one of the first ones has to do with self-awareness because we can't heal if we don't even know something's beneath the surface. And so anyways, right. I'm probably giving you more than you even want, but no, it's, good. it's just been a hard book to describe because it wasn't the book I set out to write. I'll, I'll say that it was not the book I set out to write, but it is definitely wow. the book that God asked me right and so it's amazing yeah yeah because I think like at the end of the day we all need to do some soul care oh yeah we all have something in our soul that could definitely benefit our by our attention and us digging up some old roots and weeds and planting some new ground I think that that's something we like no matter who you are what your story is sorry not sorry you're not perfect yeah there's some work that can be done um and I love it it's so different than self than self-care yeah, too. Totally. Like what you're saying, the inward work and being self-aware and all of that. Because um, it, it's just, I don't know, it's just neat what can happen when you can like hand something over to God and be like, okay, I don't like this about myself. And he's like, I know, like that, 
that actually was not my original design. <laughs> you yeah. know, like I would love to work on that with you too. Um, but I think that that's the tricky part about this that you articulate really well is that we can get to a point, I feel like, because a lot of us can also fall on the side of like almost self-loathing mm. because you kind of got to that point when you're like, okay, life's not worth living. Like I am all these things that aren't who God says that we are um, because you've identified that thing. Mm-hmm. Like you've identified your monster. Yes. Um, And it's easy to sit there in it. And so what did that process look like for you to be like, you know what, actually, I'm going to be brave. I'm going to figure this out because that that is a very, like I said, brave thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, I'll just say really quickly for anyone listening who's maybe been unfaithful in a relationship specifically or really anything. It doesn't have to be unfaithful or infidelity, but like coming forward instead of getting caught is one of the best things you can do to start the healing journey. Um, That's good. I know it probably, I think it's a cop-out. I think it's easier just to get caught. It would have been easier to maybe leave some breadcrumbs so that my husband like asked me or (laughs) like somehow kind of figured this out. But instead, and also he wouldn't mind if I show this, he is like kind of oblivious. And so he was never going to like figure this out. He just is, um, it's just part of who he is. And so um, he's he's very self-aware about things that matter, but he's kind of not aware about things that don't. And so he, you know, that's just who he is and his fun you know, personality. And so he was never going to figure it out. So me coming forward, um, was, was really necessary. And I would encourage anyone to, to consider that as like a first step for, for me though, to what, to answer what you were just saying, I think it was so important that I went to someone, I went to a mentor first. So before I went to my husband, I went to a mentor and I came forward to her and she, it was in her response that gave me a lot of hope and kind of gave me direction for healing. And so I would just say, don't wait until something bad happens in your life to get help to get um, a mentor or a counselor or someone to, to take your friendships deeper so that you have built in support system and accountability. I think that that's huge and we could all benefit from it. Also, I feel like doing the, the work of soul care, of caring for our souls, it's, it isn't something you wait for something bad to happen and then you do. It shouldn't be. Uh, right. It should be something right. you do proactively. It's and preventative. it's not, <laughs> and I always say to people, yeah, it's preventative and it's not selfish. I think so often people think of it as, so, as a selfish thing, but it's not selfish. It's going to benefit everyone around you when you do your work. You're going to be able to be a more attentive, loving, patient, whatever roles you are, wife, mother, uh, friend, colleague, daughter, sister, all these things. Ultimately, I, I think of it as a way that we can be um, we can be used by God more effectively. Um, sure. Yeah, totally. Because when you're doing your inner work, that affects everyone around you. So um, I probably went off of your original question and my mind is going in a million. This is good. Because no. there's so much to share. <laughs> yes, there's. Yeah, it's it's such a complex thing. I've said so many times, like I don't have a good elevator pitch for my book. And I feel like <laughs> really kind of silly admitting hey, that. Hey, that's what publishers are for, girl. I know. Just I'm just write like. the thing. <laughs> I wrote the thing. I did. I told the truth and that's what I did. And when we do the work of caring for our souls, um, like I said, not only does everyone else benefit from it, but I think what we discover is that we're better than we think. Okay, bear with me because somebody might think, who is she and why is she telling me I should be like cocky or something? But no, what I'm trying to say is that a lot of us struggle with I don't know, trying to be good, trying to make people think we're good, trying to be as good. So we spend our days striving to prove our worth or to prove that we're good. And gosh, for me, soul care was actually the journey of quite the opposite. It was no more proving, no more striving, no more trying to be perfect, no more. And, And in this weird backwards kind of a way, when I just decided to believe what God says about me, which is I am already good, and I live from a place of believing I am already good, that's when through surrender, instead of striving, I was actually able to live that out. Um, And I think so often we get it backwards. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes. I've heard this too, that like, if you are the person who it's easy for you to fall into that performance, be like, okay, I got to prove myself. Like I'm good. Look what I did. Look at my accomplishments or like, look who I served or look how much I served. Like all that. If that's something that you easily fall into, then it's, um, okay, I'm going to step on some toes, but I'm just going to say it. Uh, you're 
you're like slapping Jesus in the face. You're saying like, thanks God for sending your son, but that wasn't enough. I still got to prove it. When in reality, like we've been made good through the blood of Christ, period, dot. Like you could do nothing else. You could never serve at your church, which is not what I'm saying you should do. I'm just saying hypothetically, once you say yes to Jesus, like you're good. Yeah. What what you're talking about too, is that our motives matter and no one knows anyone else's motives. So we're not, it's not our position to judge why someone posts something, because maybe for you, if you were to post that same thing, it would be from a place of performing or trying to prove, but for them, Mm -hmm. that's, that's not even on their radar. Right. So we motives are so important, but that's a whole section in the book is motives matter. And yeah, I mean, that's also ties into so much of my relationship with God prior to having my uh, rock bottom moment, I call it, which was the infidelity. It's not that I didn't have a relationship with God. I know that kind of feels confusing to people because I think people think you get in a relationship with God and then you don't sin anymore or you would never make a big mistake like that. And what I would just say to that is that's not true. Um, You can be in a relationship with God or have uh, spiritual practices as a part of your life. Maybe the relationship is, is a is a piece that's building. Maybe it's not not necessarily what it is today. I can certainly say my relationship with God is not what it used to be. It's so much better. It's so much different. But it wasn't that it wasn't there. It wasn't like I wasn't a Christian and now I'm a Christian. Um, Christians are people too. We will never be God. We need to stop trying to be God, but we can be more like God in the surrender. And I think Mm -hmm. too, like, the, when you think about the fruits of the spirit, okay, if the fruits of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, if those are the things that are indicators of someone who is in a relationship with Jesus, and that is like supposed to be oozing out of them or flowing out of them, we should not wake up and say, okay, I am going to be patient. <laughs> I'm going to do this and like gear ourselves up. Although I, I still do that. I have to admit, like with my toddler, yes. sometimes it's like, I got to, up. yep. but the true indication, like sort of a litmus test is if you're in relationship with Jesus and you're um, spending time with God and you have practices in your life, then those fruits should organically be coming out of you, not right. you striving, not you behave, doing behavior modification, but that is just right. what should come out of you. And yes. in my journey, I swear that God used the rock bottom moment for me, sort of like uh, Saul who became Paul, if you're familiar with that part of the Bible, who had this like moment on the road and he's blinded. And I sort of had that, that kind of moment where I kind of quote unquote lost it all, hit this rock bottom, uh, had made a mess of my life. And then God used that though, to bring me closer to him, to teach me what a real relationship with him looked like and put me on this new path. And let me just say, there is an ease to it. I am not spending my days striving and trying. There's an ease to, I am good because God says I am good. I am good because he is good. And I believe that about him. And it changes the way I see myself, the way I see other people, the way I interact with everyone. And I always say there isn't a single person you wouldn't love if you knew their story. Hmm, and that's, that's why good. everyone yeah. has a story. It's easy to judge from a mile away, but pull up a chair, get to know that person. And you're probably going to learn things about their story that lead you to understand why they are the way they are, why they think the way they think, why they believe the way they believe. And I'm not saying that you're going to agree with them. You're going to love them in an instant, but I think it creates empathy and compassion and just this new understanding. Um, But we have to be willing to get to know people's stories and to be able to sit in the mess. That's what my mentor did for me. Amazing. I love that you're talking about like the motives part. And I love that there's like a whole section dedicated to this in your book too, because um, it's like the overflow that happens is because we are just like, overwhelmed with gratitude like I am good enough because of what God did for me and I can't do anything but just be grateful and to do this in return for him period like but then there's some people where it's like okay you choose to foster not out of the overflow but because you have to prove to somebody like oh look how good of a family we are Ah, to do this for ourselves so like it it, it's not what you do it's why you do it and that's a good question to ask yourself if like if maybe there's an area of your life you need some self-care. It's a great yeah. question to ask. It's some good homework to do. What are some other ways people can almost like, well, first I want to set this like there's going to be a few questions in here. So I'm curious. Cool. Let's say someone's curious now. They've like entered the conversation. They've entered the chat, like I said, like to say, and they're like, okay, I, I want to do the soul care interested but I'm not, not sure where to start, not sure what mood I need to set, not sure practically what to do. And also don't know if 
I'm actually changing. Like, I don't, how do you measure the transformation? Mm. I think those are like good places to start for practicals. If people are like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I want to do this. That's great. But like, how? Yeah. Yeah. I love this question. And obviously one of the quick, easy answers is I would say, I really feel like my book is a guide. So if you don't know where to start and you don't necessarily have a mentor, you don't know who to even ask to be a mentor, you can't afford therapy right now. Like definitely the book is a really inexpensive, tangible way to kind of be led on this journey. Um, For sure. And what I also say is soul care, there's not a one size fits all. I don't get so specific as to say, you need to wake up at this time and eat this for breakfast and do this. That's that's not it. They're actually a lot more broad and general than that. um, Because I think, again, we're all living very different lives and we live very complex, densely layered lives. And so it'd be really bizarre of me to prescribe what works for me to work for somebody else. I just don't think that's how it always happens. But what I do think is that these 15 practices that have to do with our inward self, you're, the, the real test to know if it's working once you start, just to answer that, is does your inner life match your outer life or is there a disconnect? Does your private life match your prob- public life or is there a disconnect? Do, integrity. Yes, so much of yes. it is about integrity. And I always say too, integrity is a prerequisite for security. Mm. You cannot be secure and experience true security if you're not living with integrity. So here's what I mean by that. It can apply in my relationship with, uh, let's use my husband, for example. When I wasn't living with integrity and I was unfaithful and then I was hiding that because I was scared, he'd like, I just didn't know how to deal with it and I wasn't ready to confess at that point. And I was never secure. I was almost always, and he would tell you this too, I was constantly like, you're going to leave me. And he'd be like, what are you talking about? I'd be like, just like nervous all the time. Or I'd be like, you're going to meet somebody else or whatever. Well, it's because I knew what I did and I hadn't been living with integrity and therefore there was no security. I know it sounds like kind of crazy, but um, there's so much of of our life that this happens. I tell another story in the book about a friend who um, had a baby and then I saw pictures on Facebook and I hadn't been invited. And anyways, I I won't give all this stories away in the book. But that one particular story, what I'm highlighting is that when it came down to it, I felt insecure in my friendship with her, not because of anything she did or didn't do or an invite I received or didn't receive, but because deep down when I when I kind of took a step back and I looked at it through a different lens, my integrity was the thing that was missing. My integrity knew I should have shown up and done the thing that I uh, knew to do. I should have been a more supportive friend. I, sh- I should have, you know, yada, yada, yada. I won't go into detail. The point is you can't experience security if there's not integrity. Integrity is a prerequisite. And that is so much of the journey of this book too, is to build a life of integrity and how it's so important because nothing matters more than the condition of your soul. Nothing matters more. Not your followers on social media, not the zeros in your bank account, not um, what people perceive of you. Nothing matters more than than the condition of your soul. And we're seeing this even in other ways now too with, you know, there's been a lot of mega church pastors who kind of have a public fall uh, with sexual misconduct or just, this is just one example. But I, I see this a lot with people in ministry too. It's easy to do a lot for God and not actually be in relationship with God. And to not know God, right? right, right to right. know God, to be in a relationship. And it's dangerous. It's destructive. I think it's, you know, it's ultimately, I'm, I'm thankful that with my quote unquote fall, like it was a private thing and I got to navigate that more privately. But now I'm making it public because I don't want other people to go through that. And, um, and nothing matters more than the condition of our soul. And I... That's what the whole book is about. Um, Yeah. But just to answer one more of your question that had come up about getting really tangible and really practical. Yes. um, Anyone can be a mirror holder if you're willing to look at them like they're holding up a mirror. What I mean by that is when you're in relationship with people or you encounter people and something really bothers you or really annoys you or really frustrates you, um instead of just casting like judgment or gossiping or having feelings about them, pause to ask yourself, what is going on? What is it about them and they're doing or not doing or whatever that is causing such a big reaction inside of me? And really like sit with that and be willing to get self-aware and to take ownership. That's the path to transformation. And so that is a free way 
to start doing the work of caring for your soul is to look at people around you like mirror holders. Um, And then if you want to get more formal about it, having someone in your life, a friend, a mentor, a pastor, a therapist who can ask you questions and really help you dig deeper um, is another great way to care for your soul. Another thing that I like to do is to take a Sabbath. That could be a weekly Sabbath and, and I won't go into tons of detail, but I think a lot of people can even Google Sabbath and you can start to find resources and figure out what that could look like for you. But I'll do an annual solitude retreat. That's once a year where I pull away, I unplug, I'm not with family. I go actually into this place in Michigan called the Hermitage and I just get really, really quiet. And so these practices of soul care, some of them are day-to-day practices. Some are weekly, quarterly, monthly, whatever, annually. Um, And it can look like so many different things, but the book kind of sets you up for success to say, here's a bunch of tools to caring for your soul. And here are stories of why they matter and why I'm so passionate about it. And when the world is telling you that you need the perfect outfit or the perfect feed or the perfect whatever, um, I'm here to say that none of that matters. What matters more is the condition of your soul. And so um, we we have to care about the thing that matters most to God. Yes. I think what's so weird, too, is like we're living in such a strange time, in my opinion, where everything is online. Like we even talked about the beginning of this, like our friendship. We made it online. Uh, Uh, So like it could be healthy. It could be really, really cool. But also, like I said, I'm kind of terrified because like someone really wise in this realm, like this part of what we do, which a lot of our life is online and a lot of our life is public doing naturally what we do as our jobs and career. But she said, if the light on you is more or is brighter than the light in you, you'll mm, get burned. That is good. Right. That's it. That's my elevator pitch. <laughs> yeah, right. And um, it's this idea of like a magnifying glass. Like we also talked to this about those at church, but I not about this. This is like a new concept. Like I was chewing on that magnifying glass analogy for a while. And that was so cool. Cause I'm like, anything you, they said, anything you put magnifying glass on, like it gets power mm. because it gets so big. True. Also, if the sun's hitting at just the right angle, you're going to set it on fire. Mm. <laughs> like mm. in the fire, it's like, is it, are you setting, what are you setting on fire? Like, what are you getting power? What are you making big? And if it's yourself, it can get dangerous because you in return will get set on fire. Um, anyways, just a cool concept to think about. Cause I think a lot of things, a lot of what people want these days is to be known, to be recognized, to be understood and an easy way to get those like fake doses of that is online. And so just a good reminder for people that maybe like crave that recognition, status, power, fame, is to think like is the light on me brighter than the light in me because if so then like I'm in a dangerous position yeah um and that's why yeah this I love like the individual retreats just like pulling away that's great yeah a lot of these tools and practicals are amazing yeah it's creating space too for God to do work in you and to do that takes a lot of effort obviously to to create that space to carve out that time and but it also just requires a posture of humility to say like, yep. to acknowledge that you need it or that you're better because of it um, yeah. is really big. I think so often in this day and age and living where we live, I mean, it's easy to not need God. And one of the coolest things about my foster care journey as a foster parent is that nothing has brought me to the end of myself faster and more um, strongly or impactfully than being a foster parent where I don't have control and I don't have the answers. I don't know the future and I'm, I'm in a really needy place. Um, and so I would also just say that one way we care for our souls is that we, we stop trying to do it all and micromanage and control it all. And we actually learn to rely on God and to position yourself that way is really scary so it also requires having courage because it means you have to do the thing that scares you sometimes. And so, right. um, yeah, for us, it, for us, one of those ways was very tangibly to become a foster parent and to trust not knowing what was next, not knowing for how long. Yeah, just all the unknowns in it. So good. Crazy. 
Because I think, yeah, the I think what's so cool and one of the benefits to soul care, and you talk about this in your book, is that uh, you get this like new intimacy with God. Like you, he is revealed to you and like his own character being patient with us because wow, like look, look how yeah. patient he is because look how crazy this can be or whatever. Um, It's so neat because I think that at the end of the day, a lot of us, like I said, like we want to be known and understood and all that, but the only person who really knows us is is God. Yeah. And then he can, he can explain us to ourselves in this soul care process so that then like we can be the best versions to go out and like do the things that he's called us to do. But you're kind of selling yourself short. And also you're not really doing God as like cool of a service as you could do obediently on this earth. If you don't take that time to pause and be like, what yes. kind of instrument am I? Am I, am I in tune? Because if I'm not in tune, like a violin out of tune is not cute. Yeah, you know, like let's get yeah. it in tune. Um, so anyways, I just want to honor you because this is such a fun read. So oh, many cool you. stories. Um, also, like, just it feels like you meet me. Like, mm-hmm. it's just easy to read as a reader because it's not uppity. It's not one of those like, learn from me, young one. Uh, sit at my yeah. feet. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> learn from me, not learn. You know what I mean? Like, learn from the mistakes in the life and the experience and like what I've learned, but not, you know, it's not a me thing. Yeah. And that's Thanks hard to do. So I love it. Yeah, that that's that's one other thing that's come up in the book. I I got to this point where it'd been so much of like do our inner work, do our inner work, look inward, do our inner work, and then I talk about how it's not selfish and why it's not selfish, which we've already discussed. But then there's this point in the book that I actually talk about why you know how do we do all of this without becoming self-absorbed? Because then, sure. just like everything in life, you could take things just different extremes. And so I also yeah. address how you do the inner work, how you care for your soul how it isn't selfish, but also how, uh, cause it's, it's not a one and done, like check the box, how this ongoing work in these practices, um, how, how you do it without becoming self-absorbed. So if that is someone listening and they're like, that sounds great. But also I feel like this might be, you know, too much about me, me, me. Um, just consider that I actually address that in the book. And so, um, yeah, I, I would love for people to read it because I think that, like you said, my hope is that I'll meet people wherever they're at. And that by me going first, sharing some of my lowest lows from uh, losing friendship over uh, gossip and just me owning that I messed up radically or the infidelity in my marriage or whatever the case is, because there's, like you said, a lot of stories and most of them are me telling on myself. I hope that it will not only make you feel a little bit better about yourself, just to normalize like we're humans. There's no cure for being a human. This is who we are. Um, but there's grace, which is beautiful. And we, we talk a lot about grace in the book. And then also though, I just, God loves us so much that like we, we receive that grace, but he loves us so much. He doesn't leave us there. I think maybe Bob Goff or someone said that before. Um, and, and then that part of the journey, that's where personal responsibility comes in. And so soul care is for like, receive all of the grace, but now do your part to take responsibility, um, to go down a journey of self-reflection and inward knowing. And, um, so that you, you know, when we know better, we do better. And that's, that's the goal. We can be better followers of Jesus and make our time here on this earth count. And honestly, we can do a lot of good in the world, but nothing matters more than the condition of our soul. And so that's what this is all about. Amazing. Where can people find it once it's, it's out there. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. as of August 9th, it is everywhere books are sold. So you can go to Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Target, wherever, um, order a copy. And, um, after August 9th, hopefully it'll, you know, be on those store shelves and stay stocked, yes. but you can always get it online if you can't find it in stores. Amazing. We will link all that in the show notes and you and where people can find you online as well, because you're so much fun. You're a fun fellow and a fellow podcaster. So People listening are obviously podcast people. So add this to your queue, download it if you haven't already. Uh, One of my favorite questions, and we'll end with this. What are you loving these days that you have to share with the people listening? I love a lot of things. Okay, so I hope it's okay. I'm going totally in a different direction. Always. Let's go. I have two things. Am I allowed to share two? Is there a rule? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. No rules. So... The first thing that's not in an entirely different direction is my uh, five-year prayer journal, which I can send you the link so that everyone could 
grab it if they're yes, interested. Yes, it's not yes, something yes. that I sell. Um, I, I got it from a different company, but it's a five-year prayer journal. And what I love about it is that the lines, so you write in the year and then for that day. So it's like, so let's say it's today, it's July, uh, whatever today is, look, 19th, I think you'd write the day or sorry, the day is there and you write the year and then below it is a couple more lines for the next year and then a couple more lines anyways, for five years. So what happens is what's really beautiful about it is it's a way to trace God's faithfulness. So like so when cool. I opened it today and I'm writing, thanks God for this and I'm asking God for things and I'm just, you know, processing in a, you know, a couple five sentences, just a really quick practice with God. What's really cool is that right above it was 2021, that same day, what I was asking God for and what I was praying about. And so every single day when I turn the page, I get to see the years prior. And it is such a cool cool way, Rachel. Like I honestly, it is, it has just been mind blowing where I'm like, oh my gosh, I was praying for so-and-so she was going through IVF. And then today on the same different year, same day, you know, she has this beautiful baby and right. I'm just praising God. It's just a really, really cool way to trace God's so faithfulness. Cool. So I love it. And I also just love that it's just a few lines. So you don't feel obligated to like fill up a page, um, which is yeah. really practical for me in this season with a toddler. I know you can relate. Um, <laughs> so that's something I'm loving. The other thing I'm loving is this. I'm wearing it right now. If anyone can see me, if you're a female <gasps> listening, this is the most comfortable bra I have ever worn. It's from what's Nordstrom. the brand? True, True and Co. I True think. and Co. I knew it. I'm I a True and Co. Say, girl. So I feel like I was oh, the yeah. last person to find out about these bras, and now I'm telling everyone about them. <laughs> but oh, yeah. there's They're no the like the one I'm wearing. There's no underwire. It stays yeah. in place. It is. It is. It feels like I'm not wearing a bra, which is what I want. Yeah. Plus, slash you don't have saggy boobs sorry Correct. but like post-nursing or even just like post-baby they're just yeah. different yes okay I said it no it's true <laughs> I, I changed a whole cup size post-nursing yeah. like they never yeah, yeah, yeah. they never went quite back to normal right so anyways I know that was like sort of a random one but it's one of those things where I'm like oh my gosh I love this yes I you have to tell everybody. people almost just as good as the coffee for oh sure. yeah oh yeah <laughs> for sure <laughs> I love it. Yes, yeah. Nordstrom sells them. All, like, of course, Nordstrom has like good sales, but um, literally, you can find them anywhere now. Like, they're on Amazon. Oh, they're okay. also true I didn't Co, even like, know the that. website. Yeah, I get one on Amazon because like two day shipping. Sometimes I'm like, rocks my world. They, yeah. I, it's been a game changer. Like, I will never go back to a different. Good. I will never go back to a bra with underwire. I don't think. Well, I there we go. <laughs> Amazing. So yeah, those are the things I'm loving, which that's such a fun question. I might need to start doing that on my podcast. I've gotten some of my best recommendations from this. So that's why I always ask. It's, it's super selfish, but it's fine. Yeah. Just have it recorded. <laughs> I love it. No, it's beautiful. Yeah. It's awesome. Good. Well, I am so glad that you could just spend some time with us today. I'm so excited for your book. I know people are going to love getting their hands on them and just like the vulnerability, the mess, like that's where we're at. So this has been a really fun conversation for me. And I just know people listening are like on fire, like ready to go do some work. Thank you. Thanks for having me and asking great questions and for being willing to read an early copy of the book. It means a lot. Of course. This episode of Behind the Bliss podcast has ended, but be sure to subscribe for more episodes so you don't miss episodes full of encouragement. And don't forget to rate and review so that we can continue to bring you the best content. See you in the next episode.